Welcome to the Testimony Podcast, people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. I'm your host, Andrew Chamberlain, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast and Instagram at TestimonyPodcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Testimony Podcast. This is a conversation with Jim Barnard. Now, when Jim and his wife Alicia met and started dating, there was no real indication that things would go the way they did. In September 2006, they stood in front of their friends, family and God and made a covenant together for life. In their vows, they promised to love, comfort and support each other through good and bad joy and pain, and most importantly, sickness and health. Just three months later, Alicia's health took a dramatic turn for the worse, and she was ultimately diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Countless surgeries, tests, treatments and therapies failed to solve the rapid downfall that she continues to experience to this day. In this episode, Jim and I talk about the journey of faith that he has been on, a journey in which expectation has not lived up to reality, a journey that has involved disappointment, anger, pain and sorrow. But now after nearly 15 years of marriage, Jim has found a place where he can testify to God's grace. And reflecting on Jesus' own experience on earth, Jim says this, Jesus' suffering changed the world. That changed everything. It's my privilege to have my arms held up by others and to hold up the arms of others. This is Jim's story. So Jim, welcome to the Testimony Podcast. It is great to have you as my guest today. Man, Andrew, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, man. We've spent the last, I don't know how long, hour or so having a chat already. So uh, we've, we've talked about some stuff already, but I know you've got plenty more interesting things to share with us. So I wondered if we could start by you telling us a little bit about your background, how you grew up, how you came to faith, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, I guess it goes back to childhood. I, I grew up in such a broken home and uh, my, my parents got divorced when I was about 11 years old and I, I had never seen grief happen before and there was a lot to grieve in that loss. It, it, mm. it wasn't your standard run of the mill divorce. So there was a lot of complicatedness to it. And I didn't know how to respond at all, man. Like grief was like all around me. It, it, it welled up inside of me and um, no one was around to really help guide me through it. So I know we're jumping in like fast and heavy into the story, but it's the That's testimony fine. podcast. So in at the deep end. That's good. <laughs> if we're going to do it, let's do it. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just shut down like for, for years I was, I guess the term is a selective mute. I didn't ever talk and, unless I felt like I absolutely had to, or I didn't want to be disrespectful. So like if, if a teacher would call on me at school, I would, I would respond, but in as few words as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I would sit on the corner of the playground by myself and um, I would run home right after school was over and I would hide in my, in my bedroom and often my bedroom wouldn't feel safe enough. I would literally climb into my closet and that became a euphemism for depression. Mm. Um, that, mm. Like I was a depressed kid. So I mm. uh, grew up in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, this just lonely kid, depressed kid in, in, uh, in America, just feeling the, the weight of everything that he experienced. Mm. And uh, it was such a lonely place. It wasn't until um, 
I started going to church because my dad asked me to, I would spend summers with him and, and he's like, please, I want you to go to church. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And eventually he, he prodded me to go to, to youth group. And at this youth group, I met this pastor who was quite literally the coolest person I'd ever met in my life. He was a professional bodybuilder. Um, okay. He had this thick Southern accent, you know, like uh, I'm, I'm in love with your accent, Andrew, but like his, his <laughs> Southern accent was outrageous. Um, he talked cool. He looked cool. Like every woman wanted him. He loved Jesus and he decided to invest himself into me. And mm, mm. it felt like I had value for the first time. And I don't know how long, and I, mm. it, it felt really good. And I started to come out of my shell. I started to participate and yeah, I don't good. know, try to be cool, whatever. And um, I remember when he was giving his first uh, sermon in big church, you know, with the adults and it was at the end of the summer, I was about to head back to Wisconsin for the school year. He gave this sermon that just like, it connected all the dots. Like, like Jesus, I, I do have value. Like I have value, not because cool, strong guy says I have value. Um, not because if like anyone in my family would pay attention to me or whatever, mm. it's because of Jesus. Like mm. he sets my value and I, and I need him. I want him like, oh my gosh, I broke. I'm coming forward in this little country Baptist church, just crying and snotting. And, and, and my guy was uh, up there like, hey, hey, just give me like two minutes. I'm almost done with my sermon. Like I'm landing the plane here and I'm a blubbering idiot. Like, oh, I'm just so sorry. I love Jesus and I just need him and oh, snotting. It's, it's crazy. And everything changed for me there, um, like then and there. Mm. The sad sack of a kid, um, you know, that wouldn't ever try to talk or participate, just tried to be invisible, went into high school and was voted like class clown and most likely to become famous. And um, and that's not a humble brag. Right. But that's Jesus in me. That's that's the yeah. transformation that yeah. that he made. And um, I'm just so thankful. Like he he really did such a great work. So um Fast forward through college, fast forward um, to me moving away from Milwaukee. I, I moved down to St. Louis, which is kind of like the center of the heartland of, of the United States. Uh, my oldest sister lived down there and she invited me to live with her and her family. And um, I got really involved in her. Like I, I was part of a family that was super healthy and loved Jesus. And my brother-in-law was a youth pastor. And it was, it was like, oh my gosh, like it, it was, it was a different world for me. It was, it was, it was God preparing me for something that I, I could not have seen coming. Mm, so yeah. um, I eventually started to like, try to find my own footing in my life. Like uh, I need to get my own apartment. I need to find my own church. I need to um, do some of these adult things. Um, and so I, I started to do that. And, you know, I, I started going to this church in St. Louis called Quest, uh, a, a lovely small church that, um, I don't know, it just, it, it, it was such a, a great place for me. The, the first week I, I showed up there, there was this gal up on stage giving announcements and she was, she wasn't a pastor. She was just kind of like the, the service coordinator or something. And uh, she, she was giving these announcements and everything was failing around her. Like the wrong, um, you know, the wrong slides are coming up the wrong, like the video has the wrong audio on. And, and man, this, this gal is like up there just dealing with it. And she's <laughs> funny and graceful. And I'm like, 
you know, maybe I need to start like, uh, you know, trying to volunteer around here. Uh, <laughs> and so I, 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 I went up and introduced myself to her and I was like, hey, you, I, I, I would really like to volunteer here. And she saw right through my motives and, uh, you know, was like, I don't, I don't think you could rise to the occasion. You, you know, we have high standards here at, at Quest. And, um, you know, she, she's obviously was flirting back with me. And, and we, I was like, hey, let's go on an interview, because if you got to know me, you would be thrilled to have me on your team. Right. And so we started dating right away and it was like the best decision I ever made in my life. It was like my real introduction to ministry. Um, you know, I had, I had gone to churches here and there and, um, you know, certainly had, had been very connected in my brother-in-law's church, but this was something new and different for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, Alicia and I, um, um, her name's Alicia, Alicia and I dated for a year and a half. And um, it was, it was amazing. I, I fell so in love with Jesus and um, serving there and helping her do like, you know, whatever needed to be done at the church. And man, it was, it was so good. Eventually I asked Alicia to marry me. Um, It's not the most glorious engagement story ever, but um, (laughs) I, I, I mustered up the courage to ask her to marry me. And we had a very short engagement. Um, we, we were engaged for 10 weeks. Uh, wow. that, I don't recommend that for people. Um, okay. that's, that's not that's not the way it probably should go. And no, she wasn't pregnant. There was no funny business. It was <laughs> it was truly God at work. And I, I, I didn't I didn't see it coming at all um, because three months after we got married, Alicia got horribly sick. I mean, just could not keep any food down. It was like at first, like, okay, you've got the stomach flu or something. But, you know, the the stomach flu never went away. The bug just stayed. I'm like, what is happening? And, um, you know, I want to answer your question. Like, you know, tell me your background. And, Mm, you know, mm. we're we're, we're sharing testimony here. We're doing it well, Mm, right? mm. But uh, Alicia's illness, um, it wrecked me. It was, I, I had hopes and expectations for my marriage. Mm. And suddenly reality came in so far below it Mm. and it, it freaked me out. It panicked me. I I didn't know how to respond. And frankly, I think grief is a, is a habit. It's something that we like go back to when we have to. And I, I started to pull away. I started to enter into my proverbial closet and um, the difference between this time, as opposed to when I was a kid was, I was part of a church family that knew me and loved me and, and rallied around me. They, they came alongside of me and said, you're not alone. Like it, it was, it was basically the story of Moses on the mountainside, you know, trying to keep his arms up in yeah. the air, yeah. but he can't do it. And so like, finally he, he gets weak and weary and his boys, Aaron and her are there. They're so close. Their yeah. proximity is important. Yeah. And yeah. they, they prop them up and, and they experience victory together. And um, it, it was not pretty. My, my wife spent three months at the Mayo Clinic doing some of the most horrific tests and, um, you know, trials and different things that just were, were uh, like unspeakably bad. Like one example here, Andrew, is, um, and this is kind of funny, so I have to share it. Um, she's she's doing a thing called biofeedback, which can you know manifest in different ways, but this particular biofeedback was basically poop school. They're like, You're, there's something wrong with 
your bowels or maybe your, your bottom. So, um, so she's sitting on a false bottom toilet with her bum exposed and like, you know, uh, different uh, meters and different uh, attachments, you know, getting readings of, of what's happening, you know, wow. muscularly and stuff. Yeah. She's sitting there with this woman underneath her, giving her coaching on how to like poop again. It's, it's the worst thing ever. Your audience is probably turning your podcast off right now. I'm so sorry about that. So she, she's doing all of these horrible tests and, you know, I'm back at home trying to keep my arms up and, 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 and these guys at church are doing such a good job to keep me out of the closet. Mm-hmm. And I, to answer your question, I felt like God was poking me at that point saying, are you paying attention to what's happening? Because this is important. Like what's happening here is, is vital and I need you to pay attention. And over the next few years, I felt like God was calling me into ministry and, and to do this same kind of thing for other people. And, uh, so just, I felt like could I just ask yeah. you a question there when when you felt God was saying to you are you paying attention to what's happening here was yeah. it was it the the support that you were getting that he want, wanted you to pay attention to or was it saying what was it that God was saying you should attend to yes it was it was the body of of the church doing the work uh, that the church should do mm. um you know like Church can be really fun and entertaining and educational, but it's it's when the church meets the needs of people that it's really at its best. And and I had great need. Mm. I, I was mm. I was scared out of my mind that I was going to lose my wife at any moment. And mm. um, her disease, uh, the the stuff that was happening with her, it it was so undefinable at that point. It was very scary. And so, yeah, I was very much like, pay attention to what the church is doing here. Mm. Um, Did she and, have and anyone doing that job for her? Was Were there people who were rallying around her as well or supporting her? Undoubtedly, yes. Uh, she had women that loved her very well. Um, you know, good friends that um, held her arms up in unique ways. I, I mm. wish I could spell that out in like a, a specific way. You know, sometimes it was just like sitting with me or mm. her and mm. you know just just being close by mm. other times it was just asking the hard questions because like andrew i don't know how long you've been married for but um you know like anytime we get well, married well. like yeah yeah <laughs> anytime we get married like we're, we're ready to to light the world on fire if you know what i yeah. mean you know yeah, like, yeah. But the honeymoon yeah. like the the honeymoon crashed like it was it was suddenly like there there was no intimacy. It was just fighting for my wife's life. It was, mm. um, it was just, everything was broken. And so, you know, people would ask me the hard questions about like, how are you doing like with, with lust? How are you doing with, um, you know, the, just the, the pain and the loss that, you know, you, you don't have what you thought you were going to have mm. in this married mm. life. And mm. so, um, yeah, eventually God just kept saying, like, I want you to do ministry. I want you to do ministry. And I'm like, bro, do you see the complicated life that you gave me? There's no way. Ministry is supposed to be complicated if you're doing it well, right? Like, it's supposed to be complicated. And I'm adding that on top of my, like, unbelievably complicated life. I, I don't think so. So eventually, man, he wore me down. 
like he absolutely wore me down. I, I gave him a, a stiff arm for as long as I could, but God was very insistent that I, I would, you know, follow through and that I would learn and prepare how to be the church for people, how I would help people in their times of need. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so you, you asked my background, I, I'm a pastor. I can't believe I'm a pastor, but um, God called me to be a pastor. And for the last 10 years, I've worked in several churches. Um, I got my start replacing Alicia as she was coming off staff because she got so sick. Mm. And so I helped on a part-time basis um, as is like the church just needed some extra help until they could oh. figure out a permanent solution. Mm. And uh, I, I, I went through um, seminary. I, I, I moved okay. my family away from St. Louis to, to Denver, Colorado to, to go to seminary. Um, I really didn't want to, but I was like, okay, God, like whatever it is, let's, let's do this. And I've, I've found myself in a position um, of, uh, of doing discipleship and holding other people's arms up in mm-hmm. the midst of their mm-hmm. own expectation gaps. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of who I am. I had to tell some of those backstory to, to sure. get you there. Hopefully yeah, yeah. that was helpful. So um, I feel like you're going to have a number of answers to this next question then. So um, can you tell us maybe one or two particular occasions where you've really felt like Jesus of being your companion through something? Oh, yeah, I could tell you so many. Um, so you know, first of all, my, my wife's disease is it's, it's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. If you've ever seen someone who has, um, you know, they're contortionists, they can bend their joints in any direction. They can bend themselves in a pretzel or whatever. They have the cool version of that disease. Alicia has a version of the disease that, you know, is, is located in her abdomen where her digestive tract has no muscle tone to push food through. Um, she's all of her abdominal organs have prolapsed or fallen out of place and she's got cow tissue and meshing and tacks trying to keep everything in place. She's gone through countless surgeries. She's gone through, um, so many (laughs) different treatments. Uh, she's spent hundreds of days in the, in the hospital. She's essentially died on me twice. Um, it, it's been such a hard, long road Mm. and she, in the midst of so much pain, she carries so much pain with her. Like she whimpers at night in pain and it's, it's, it's so hard as a husband who Mm. can't do anything to help or control, you know, the problem. I can't fix a a single thing. And I, you know, I I feel so lost in, in this reality of, of, of what's happening. The story I want to tell here is that I found myself, uh, you know, a few years into the reality of this disease and the reality of our married life. I found myself eager to find victories wherever I could. And probably the easiest place, especially as, as a man, you know, go out and conquer something was at work. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I dove into work big time. I, I wasn't in a glamorous job. I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I think you guys have enterprise over in the UK. Um, It's a company that prides itself from promoting from within and having a competitive culture. And um, that, that spoke to my need for control really badly. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So I, I invested myself into work 
like you had never seen. I worked 80, 90, sometimes 100 hours a, a week, just desperate to win. And um, man, I, I, I was crushing it, man. Like I, I was starting to get promotions like every six months. I was, I was moving up the ladder really quickly. And, you know, they, they, they promise like, as you move up the ladder, your, your paycheck is going to grow with it. And I was starting to have like a really good paycheck. I was starting to have um, influence and people underneath me. And uh, you know, like I, it, it was like everything to me until one day when, when God just broke me of this need for control I was writing every deal I could to get cars on the road and, and make them productive. And I, I probably wasn't qualifying every customer properly. Um, I, I found myself needing to repossess cars uh, pretty frequently because of how desperate I was to, to have this victory. Um, you know, these cars wouldn't come back and, uh, you know, I'd stop getting paid on them. And so I'm like, all right, I got to get my car back. And I found myself in like sketchy neighborhoods, like, repossessing cars by myself, like in, in like literally scary situations. Um, there's one time where uh, my wife and I, Alicia was um, in the passenger seat. She, she could drive if she was off her medications. And uh, we drove up into this neighborhood and I saw the car with the back windshield shot out and bullet holes along the side. And I'm, I'm so hacked off because I'm gonna have to pay for all that damage, right? Um, but I'm like, I, I got to get the car back. So where are the keys? And I'm knocking on doors and I, I finally find, you know, the, this, this guy's parents and they're like, yeah, he's not going to be around for a while. I, I think, you know, the translation, he's in jail now or whatever. And so they're like, Hey, come on into the house and, uh, you can try to find the keys if it's that important to you. And so I'm entering into this, like, this house that feels like a crack house. It, it's probably not fair to, to label it that way but they were nice enough people and they were kind to let me come in a stranger but i'm i'm in this house you know rummaging through and i found these keys and i i come out of the house jingling the keys over my head and with pride and alicia is sitting there white as a ghost panicked that her husband is dead in this in, in this you know dangerous situation yeah, yeah and it was like this moment of clarity of like these wins may do something for me, but these wins, they're not worth anything. They're, they're, they're just, they're not. They're, I was pursuing what like, I felt like was a missing hole in my life. And pretty quickly thereafter, I ended up walking away from my job and um, got the first job that I could. I was managing a Starbucks. I was like, I'm gonna work 40 hours a week, that's it. Like. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not selling my soul for the sake of, of any job. And, um, you know, th that's, that's really when I started to take the, the concept of God, I know you've been calling me to ministry. I just needed to get out of enterprise and, and catch my breath. It's a lovely company, nothing against them. I just like, yeah. I, I, I was, I was using them to get victories and, I was able to catch my breath and, and, and that's really when I, I relented and said, okay, Lord, what is it? Where is it? And, um, and that's when we moved to Colorado, I was able to transfer with Starbucks and, and ended up being really great. And, um, you know, so that's just one example of where like God really put me in a situation where I was like, okay, you're, you're, you're clearly speaking to me, but 
I haven't been paying attention. I've been so focused on filling my own hurt and in weird, uh, strange ways. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for this clarity. So that's one example. Uh, man, an, another example I would say is, you know, shortly after we moved to Colorado, one of the experiences where uh, Alicia um, almost died. She um, had this moment where she was in one of her hospital stays and um, she had been there for a number of days and there's just a few things that they wanted to address before they released her. Like her iron count was really low. And so they're like, we want to give you an iron infusion and a few other things. And um, so no big deal. Like things are, are kind of about to get back to normal in our lives. And um, I had been I had been feeling the weight of seminary and full time work and um, being a, a husband of a, a sick wife and we had a little boy like God gave us a little boy when it made no sense like um, man that story is outrageous you don't have time for this podcast it's um, it is really a great story but I'm I'm juggling all these really heavy boulders yeah, um, yeah. that seem unfair and I'm just like I'm not doing it well and I'm I've been praying constantly God I, I I'm not strong enough you either need to make me stronger or you need to remove one of these boulders um, and uh, Alicia is in the hospital and and like not doing great and there is this one day where like um, she was, she had just gotten this iron infusion and our little boy needed to go home for a nap. You know, he's like about two years old and I never like to leave her at the hospital because I just never know what's going to happen. But she's like, please go home, get this kid, you know, you know, to bed. He needs a nap. He's acting mm -hmm. crazy. And so we start to leave, but I feel like God is is telling me that I need to turn around and go back. And I don't know if it's like, did I forget something or what? And um, she had, she, I had helped her to the bathroom just before I left. And, and she said that she would hit the nurse's button, um, you know, when she was done and the nurse could come in and, and help her get back to the bed. Um, we just need to get this kid to a nap. So that was, that was the mission. So I come back in the room and I set, I set our little boy down and, um, I'm like, Alicia, hey, I, I think I forgot something. I, I'm, I'm back. Sorry. And she didn't really answer. And, and, and I felt like that was okay. She was probably concentrating and using her, her poop school biofeedback um, lessons, you know, to the fullest extent. And I don't know why. I just like I, the, something felt like, okay, you got to open that door. And I, I opened the door to the bathroom and I see her head slumping over there's she's got a, a wastebasket in front of her like she was maybe going to throw up mm. and and so I see her slumping over and she her head keeps moving slowly closer to this wastebasket and I realize immediately she is out cold um, she's having some kind of reaction and I, I catch her before she hits the floor and I'm like trying to like drag her body and negotiate the IV pole and simultaneously call for help. And um, all of this stuff is happening like real time. I, I don't know if she's alive or dead. Uh, it, this is like one of the most traumatic things I've ever experienced in my life. I, I get Alicia back to the hospital bed eventually. And um, 
you know, there, there's no nurses that are coming. Like, I, I don't know where they are. They can't hear me. I look over and I see Anderson just observing um, this two-year-old little boy, observing all this madness. And I finally, like, I have the, the you know, the, the subtleness of mind to, like, see that there's a nurse's button there on the bed. And so I hit it. And within a moment's notice, finally, nurses are coming in and they see what, what happens. And I'm rushing Anderson, our little boy, out of the hospital room because I, I just don't want him to see this. Like, I, I think his mom is, is dead. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. all I know, like, she, she's gone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, she, she obviously didn't die that day. Um, she went into anaphylactic shock because of the iron infusion and they were able to revive her. Um, but it was, it was in the days after that, that I was like, God, where are you? You know, I've been praying for you to lighten one of these boulders and you're just not doing it. Like, this is too much for me. I I need you to show up. And this one day I'm, (laughs) I'm praying like fervently like I I'm crying in the shower, uh, you know, just angrily like saying, God, like, please hear my prayer. Please hear my prayer. I need you to remove one of these boulders. I'm afraid to ask this prayer because I'm, I'm afraid you're going to take away the boulder of my wife. I think you're going to take her and, and that's going to be the solution here. I don't want that. Like, ah, what, what's going to happen? And God showed up and, um, gave me four letters he gave me the, the letters FMLA. And I'm like, what does that mean? I don't, what is that? So I'm Googling like FMLA, what is that? It's Family Medical Leave Act. And um, uh, you, you can leave your job for up to 90 days and, uh, and uh, take care of a, a sick spouse or a family member. You might not get paid for it, but you can have insurance, which was obviously very important to us. Mm, and mm. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like mind blowing. Like, God, you, (laughs) you delivered me an answer when like, I've been like demanding it. Have you been whispering this all along? And I'm just now hearing it. Um, And I took the next 90 days and got myself. um, I should have been applying for jobs during those days because like, that would have been a good answer to get myself out of Starbucks to, um, maybe change my course load at, at school or, or whatever. But um, on the last day of this you know, medical leave, uh, I didn't even apply for this job. I had a church call me and say, hey, we'd really love to have you work for us. Like I had hung out with them once. I didn't even know it was like really a job interview. It was really murky. And this church offered me a job on this 90th day of this leave. And... <laughs> I could have never written that. Um, God showed up in such a, a crazy way, and and it it put me into ministry. It put me into an environment where I I was like asked to disciple people, and it's it's been a delight to do so ever since. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, frankly speaking, yeah. Andrew, I've I've used my story a, a, like thousands of times um, to to help people understand like we're all in expectation gaps. Um, this this world is broken. Uh, this world is not the way it's supposed to be. We are all in an expectation gap. But maybe now is the time to start trusting Jesus. Mm. Maybe mm. if we could learn to trust Jesus to overcome that gap, 
maybe we could we could become great evangelists of him. And it just uh, like I'm I'm so thankful. I've got this story that is just so long and convoluted, but God has shown up in amazing ways. And those are just two little examples, mm, honestly. Mm, um, mm. But I'm, I'm really thankful. Like <clears throat> I would trade, Andrew, I would trade everything to have my wife healthy again. She is 67 pounds. She's skin and bones. Um, she has so much pain. She is kind of trapped on a couch. It's where she sleeps every night and spends every day. Um, it, it's heartbreaking. Mm. Mm. But all of this pain is worth it. There's a purpose to it. And I, I just needed to get really comfortable with my story to be able to share it with people. Mm. Mm. Um, and as much as I would trade everything to have Alicia be healthy again, I'm really thankful for the story that God has given me and the platform he's given me to share it. Cause I've seen how it's made a difference in people's lives and it's given them the encouragement to, to comprehend that there there's a story that God is writing in their life. And mm. that's just as powerful, hopefully not as crazy as mine, but it's just as yeah. powerful. Yeah. And that, I mean, that it strikes me, there'll be people listening to this who they may be hanging on by their fingernails. They, they, they may be angry with God. They may be upset. They may be disappointed. They've experienced that expectation gap that you talk about where, you know, maybe there would have been times in their lives when they expected so much of God or they expected, they thought certain things were going to happen or it was going to be in a certain way and it hasn't been and they're, they're in pain now or they're just disappointed or whatever. So, I mean, you, you've kind of been there. So what, what would you say to those people? I mean, that is the, that, that's a question, right? Like, if we're not wrestling with that question, we're missing the boat. Um, I would say for me, uh, ironically, I left church work last year to coach people through their own expectation gaps. I, mm -hmm. It's one-on-one -on -one discipleship really at its heart. And I think the lesson that I want people to learn is to not take themselves so seriously. Because I, <laughs> I know that I was taking myself too seriously. Like, I at enterprise trying to experience these victories and, mm -hmm. you know, with, you know, begging that God would like change my circumstances. I, I was so focused on me and not focused on the relationship with Jesus. That is what he came for. Like, that's why Jesus came to earth. He came to have a relationship with me. Mm -hmm. And frankly speaking, if, if he suffered, which he did, I, uh, I, I believe that Jesus suffered more than anyone. He continues to suffer. He suffers my sin on, on a daily basis. If, if he came and he had to suffer and he didn't take himself so seriously, maybe I, maybe I could suffer and not take myself so seriously. Mm. Um, it's going to be okay. Like, of course, I don't want any of this stuff, but like this reality, I, I just don't believe is, is everything. It's, it's a blip on the screen and at, at some point we will find ourselves in a new reality and we're not getting, we're not getting from here to there without suffering. It's just not happening. So it, that's my encouragement to people is mm. learn how to live a free, alive and interesting life because Jesus is real and we can celebrate in the midst of, mm. of suffering because of, because of him.
I I don't want to spoil the 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 book. So I the reason you're having me on here is because I, I wrote a book sharing our story. Mm. And it's called The Suffering Guy. When we were chatting earlier, I told you I hated the title of my book. <laughs> <laughs> Which did surprise me slightly, actually. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. Yeah, The yeah. Suffering Guy. Um, so it's, I mean, it's a hard title, isn't it, really? It, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't, doesn't exactly kind of ask you to kind of buy it straight away, but it's an intriguing title as well. Yeah, well, thanks. It, it, and it is, it's the right title for the book. I, I mean, yeah. So at, at its heart, it, it, it's this, like, I don't want to be a suffering guy. I don't want to be the suffering guy. Like, that's not the title I wanted. I wanted to be guy whose family owned an island guy. Like, that's, that's the story I would have written. I mean, can you imagine that life? That'd be wicked awesome. Um, but, but the realization for me that made all the difference that helped me not take myself so seriously is this beautiful scripture in Romans 8 that says that we are children of God. And if we're children of God, then we are heirs with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. It says we have to suffer with Jesus as well. And the whole, mm. like the whole, like mind blowing experience for me. And the reason I wanted to share my story and share this, this book is that Jesus's suffering changed the world. It, it's quite simply did like nothing is the same. I mean, even our calendar has been reorientated based on his life and his death. Mm. Mm. And if, if his suffering changed the world and I'm called to suffer with him, not because of him, not despite him, not for him, but with him, maybe that means my suffering can change the world as well. Mm. And that changed everything that, that made me say, okay, I don't have to take myself too seriously. Like there's a purpose to this. It's going to be okay and embrace it. Mm. Um, and so I, I just gave away the ending of the book there. That's probably not good for marketing. Uh, man, I should have thought that through. But Jesus is the suffering guy. And I get to be a suffering guy. And it's, it's, mm. it's a privilege because mm. I get to do it with him. Mm. I guess it really shows that Jesus is not just like some distinct out there in the sky God who doesn't really know what it is that we go through. He's kind of, mm. he's been down here and amongst the pain and the muck and the and the disappointment and you know he probably had that expectation gap as well at some point oh come on yeah i mean <laughs> how many times how many times is he encountering a disciple and it's like oh my gosh are you kidding me here like, <laughs> yeah yeah he probably feels like he has to go back to you know lesson 101 so many times with them <laughs> no doubt <laughs> yeah there's i yeah it reminds me of that i don't know where it is where paul talks about the fellowship of suffering as in, you know, Christ suffers and we suffer and we have some sense of fellowship with him in it. And, and more importantly, he does with us, doesn't he? I guess he, he knows, he knows what it is. He knows what it is that we're going through. Yeah, man, that's so good. I, I guess like suffering was happening in my life. Like I've got mm -hmm. enough evidence that it was mm -hmm. going to happen. And mm -hmm. I tried for so long just to suffer alone, I guess, suffer in silence. Mm. And there is something really beautiful about suffering in community, having those Aaron mm. and hers besides us, mm. being authentic and, and like sharing what's real. Mm. Um, I, I just don't think that victory comes in isolation. No. Like 
if we're going to be isolated, we're going to become victims like every time. I don't think I would have learned that lesson if I didn't have to walk my own story. Now that I'm like at a place, like nothing's resolved. Like my wife's super sick and, you know, um, quite frankly, like she may have days or weeks or months. I, I have no idea how long she has to go. So like, I, I haven't arrived here, but like, it is a privilege to like be someone whose arms are held up by others. And it's a privilege to mm. hold other people's arms up. Mm. And I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy that. It's mm. it, it, there's something righteous and divine and like, fulfilling about it and at the same time like it's not just me and other people like jesus is right there like i i, I just know it he's been there the whole time mm, mm. yes yes and yeah i mean it's it's great when things work out exactly as you want them to and it's all wonderful uh but sometimes it isn't quite like that is it and and yet jesus in is in the midst of it absolutely um right. he's <laughs> jesus how do I say this? Jesus didn't come to like make it easy for us. He didn't promise us easier. No. <laughs> he did promise us better though, I think. Mm. And I'll take that. Mm. I I will take that every time. And for whoever in your audience is like hanging on by their nails, however you put it, I just want to encourage them that it it's it's okay that they have not been forgotten. They have not been forsaken and they don't have to be alone. Isolation is a choice. Mm. I'm glad it's a choice I'm not making anymore. Mm. Mm. Okay, Jim, we'll stop there. I think thanks very much for your time. It's been, um, it's been uh, great to have a chat with you and that your book where you, where you kind of tell us your story. Well, the story of both you and your wife is called the suffering guy, isn't it? And do you have a website or is there a way people can get at that, get to that? Yeah, there's a thesufferingguy.com okay. is the book's website and uh, orders can be made through there or uh, it can be also ordered on Amazon. I think it's amazon.co.uk, right? Is that is over that here? Is? Yeah, well, I mean, people from people from all around the world will listen to this. So it's oh. kind of, yeah, don't worry. It's, it's not just Brit. Um, so, yeah, it's like... Um, Go to if if Amazon Amazon is available in the country where you're listening to this. Go to Amazon. Uh, otherwise, it's thesufferingguy.com. Yeah. Um, I guess people can get that as an ebook. So you know, there's no need for people to kind of get books sent around the world or something. They can just pick up an ebook copy of it, can't they? Yeah, yeah. It's available on Kindle, and uh, but I'm also happy to mail a copy anywhere. Like I don't care what country you're in, I'll, I'll mail you. Okay. Well, there's an offer. Maybe somebody will take take you up on it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds great, man. I honestly, it, I hate my story. I hate this title, <laughs> but it is an absolute privilege to be obedient and to be able to share a story that yeah. God has written. Okay. Yeah. All right then, Jim. Well, thanks very much indeed for your time talking to us. Oh, thank you. Cheers. Thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Testimony Podcast. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast and Instagram at TestimonyPodcast. If you want to find out more about the Christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions, just go to www.christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world. That's www.christianity.org.uk 
christianity.org.uk. I look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye.